Have you got a leg to stand on in the God debate? Hmm, that's our question here on Search for Truth Radio. This is week three in this series of four talks. Our Bible teacher Brian debates the defence of the Gospel from four viewpoints, all beginning with the letter C. Creation, conscience, communication and Christ. So we're focusing on communication this time. How does God make himself known? Primarily it's via his word, the Bible. And incidentally, it's in the first part of the Bible book of Romans that Brian, and initially the Apostle Paul, presents the defence of the Christian faith. So have your Bible to hand and follow the readings in Romans if you wish. Here's Brian. Thanks, John. Atheism is indefensible. How often have you heard anyone say that? Probably not very often or not at all nowadays. But the Bible goes on the offensive in the early chapters of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, which we are featuring in these programmes. Twice, very boldly, the Bible says, around the end of Romans chapter 1, that it's those who refuse to acknowledge God, who are quite literally in an indefensible position. They are said to be without excuse, meaning they have no defence. Of course, they'd be the last people to think that. This is very far from their perception of reality, as they suppress the truth, having exchanged the truth of God for a lie. For even though they knew God, they no longer see fit to acknowledge God. Those are biblical expressions from Romans chapter 1. And this exposure of such a deep-seated agenda shows that even when we are equipped with a good defence, many debates will still not be winnable. Recent outreach experience again demonstrated this. We were out on the streets of a busy shopping centre, engaging passers-by in conversation about Christianity. Aware of how sceptical the mood is in Western Europe in the 21st century, we were challenging the public to demonstrate any meaning in an alternative point of view. Not a few conceded that their outlook was indeed bleak, but they claimed to genuinely feel that there was nothing beyond. The Apostle Paul was no stranger to sceptics, even in the first century. The kind of reasoning, explaining and giving of evidence which he engaged in was also balanced with discernment of the predisposition of unpersuaded sceptics. But this still resulted at the end of the day in some sneering, others requesting a second hearing, while yet others ended up believing. Jesus in his testimony before Pilate, spoke of those who were on the side of truth. They were the ones to hear his voice. Sometimes our defence will be more about honouring God than winning arguments, whenever we encounter those whom God himself has given over to a reprobate or depraved mind. But by the time Paul reaches Romans chapter 3, he's not yet done with his audience. He's already presented two important strands of evidence. He's talked about the starry heavens above and the moral law within. Both point to the God who's there. But now, at the beginning of Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul introduces a third supporting strand of evidence. Evidence which supports the contention that God exists. Paul asks in Romans chapter 3 verse 1, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. 
by oracles, Paul is speaking about God's revelation, especially in its written form, as had been entrusted to the Jewish people in terms of the writings of Moses and the other prophets, as well as the writers of Psalms, like King David, including now the New Testament, to which Paul himself contributed 13 letters. The completed Bible was written over a period of some 1,600 years and penned by some 40 different individuals over that time. What's more, the Bible contains many predictions. In fact, it's been estimated that at the time of writing, some 25% of the Bible was prophecy. In other words, claims about the future. Now, anyone can make predictions, but having those prophecies fulfilled is something else. What's the chance, for example, of predicting in which city some future world leader is going to be born? Or the exact way in which he's going to meet his death? But this is what the Bible did, hundreds of years in advance of the events. The late Professor Emeritus of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College, Peter Stoner, actually calculated the chance or probability of one man fulfilling the major prophecies made in advance in the Bible about the Messiah, Jesus. The estimates were worked out by 12 different classes, which amounted to some 600 university students. Professor Stoner also encouraged other sceptics or scientists to make their own estimates to see if his conclusions were more than fair. Finally, he submitted his figures for review to a committee of the American Scientific Affiliation. For example, concerning Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, which says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Stoner and his students determined the average population of Bethlehem from the time of the prophet Micah right through to the present. And then they divided it by the average world population over the same period. By expressing that ratio, they calculated that the chance of one particular man being born in Bethlehem was one in 300,000. That's in the same sense as the chance of getting heads in any one flipping of a coin is one in two. This was one in 300,000, remember. Then they examined not one, but eight different Bible prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah. The likelihood of them all being true by chance was found to be so small that we'll have to describe it by means of an illustration. If you make a mark on one out of ten tickets, and then place all the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them, and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the one ticket which you've marked is 1 in 10. Now suppose that instead of tickets, we take silver dollar coins, and not just 10 of them, but we take a big, big number of coins. Next, let's suppose we lay all these silver dollars all over the state of Texas in the United States, until we cover the whole of that state to a depth of 2 feet, or in other words, to a depth of about 60 centimetres. Now, once again, let's mark just one out of all these silver dollars and stir the whole lot of them thoroughly all over the state of Texas. By the way, you may be interested to know that Texas is almost three times 
the area of the United Kingdom. Once again, we're going to blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes within Texas, but he must pick up just one silver dollar and hope it's the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance, Peter Stoner worked out, that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in one man from their day to the present time, provided they wrote them in their own wisdom alone, assuming God had nothing to do with the Bible. But of course, there are many more than eight prophecies. In another calculation, Stoner used 48 prophecies and arrived at the estimate that the probability of 48 prophecies being fulfilled in one person is one chance in an exceedingly large number, a number which is a one followed by 157 zeros. Remember, for the sake of comparison, a one in a million chance is one chance in a number which is a one followed by only six zeros. But here we're talking about one chance in a number which is one followed by not six, but 157 zeros. So to all intents and purposes, 48 Bible prophecies have a zero chance of being fulfilled on the basis of blind chance. But even that's the result of considering only 48 of the Bible predictions about the coming Messiah, all of which in fact came true in Jesus of Nazareth hundreds of years later. One Bible expert reckons there were actually up to 456 different prophecies available for Professor Stoner to select from had he so wished. Obviously, the chance of all this being pure coincidence is vanishingly small. There can really only be one explanation for the Bible. One preacher, R. A. Torrey, put it this way. He said, suppose stones for a temple were brought from quarries in Rutland, Vermont, Berea, Ohio, Kasota, Minnesota, Middleton and Connecticut. Each stone was first hewn into its final shape at its own quarry before being transported to the actual temple site. Among the stones was a great variety of sizes and shapes like cubes and cylinders. But when they were all brought together, it turned out that every stone fitted perfectly into its allotted place. What would that show? It would show, Torrey said, that at the back of all these individual quarry workers was a single architectural mastermind. Then he said, it's exactly like that with God's temple of truth, the Bible. How else could some 40 different human authors contribute to this one vast project spanning some 1600 years from start to completion? The marvellous cohesion, the wonderful consistency of the Bible, with its focus on the central picture of Christ, can only mean one thing, that behind all those individual human authors, there stands one divine author who masterminded the Bible as his communication to this world.
Our hymn reminds us that God has declared that he is love. Another hymn asks, have you read the story of the cross where Jesus bled and died? The Bible is God's message of love to us. And this love letter from God is precious because it comes from our creator and it deserves a response. So can I ask, what will your answer be? These final four talks in this series I may have left you with some questions and if that's so, then please do write in. And I'd like to remind you again that all of our talks are available as a transcript book or online. And if you want the book, you can either get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media, or if you're not able to do that and would like a hard copy book, just write in and ask for sowing in hard soil. You can use email or the post and here's our address. Search for truth. Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY, UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, you may be interested to know that if you go to the website I just mentioned at churchesofgod.info forward slash media, you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off air by audio, podcast or MP3 versions. So why not have a go and see what you can find to enjoy? So many thanks for sharing this time of study with us. I hope you enjoyed it and found it inspiring. Next time, Brian will give us the final talk in Sowing in Hard Soil with Christ at the heart of the defence of the Christian faith. So please listen in. But till then, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian our producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon, and in the meantime, may God richly bless you. No.